Kevin Markwick. From 1971, Hunky Dory, Queen Bitch, here we go then. It's Kevin Markwick back with you again. Sorry about that. Uh, For another two hours of uh, old nonsense. Thank you, Robot Adrian. What's actually happened is I've had so much time to get ready for the show that I seem to have uh, really uh, mucked a lot of it up. 
So who knows what's going to happen in the next two hours. Coming up tonight, music from The National, Wave Machines, The Staves, R.E.M. Uh, we've got Scott Walker and Susan Sondfor. Film, uh, the film-related hour uh, includes Cheney Kent on Johnny Greenwood. Just, that doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> Just slapping noises. Uh, no, he's going to be talking about <laughs> Johnny Greenwood, is what I mean. Uh, uh, music from Gabriel Yared and Alexander Deplat again. And the time stockings roll up in 1968. And all the other usual rubbish. And you, please, uh, get in touch at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. The Kevin Markwick Show on Facebook. You must have one of either of those arrangements. If you haven't, you can email me, studio at uk, and all sorts of other stuff. Here's uh, Melody's Echo Chamber.
Melody's Echo Chamber, I Follow You. That's the collaboration, isn't it, between, uh, I think, Australian Kevin Parker and the uh, French lady, Melody Melody Prochet. And uh, rather nice it is, too. The other thing I don't have today is a hangover from the BAFTA after party because I didn't go. I didn't even go to the BAFTAs. Um, You know, I'm just a member, nobody important. I'm sure lots of other non-members went, you know. But uh, what did you think about the BAFTAs? Anybody got anything they... uh any opinions they have? I thought it was all right. I thought it was a rather good, sprightly show, actually. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Uh, Stephen Fry was funny, of course. But have you got anything you want to let me know? Uh, what your opinion was? At Kevin Markwick on Twitter, the Kevin Markwick Show on Facebook, uh, studio at uk. all of those things. Uh, what have we got next? Oh, the National. This is good. I still owe money to the money, 
tired of showbiz parties anyway there's only so many times I can make eyes at Harvey Weinstein that's the uh, the national from Cincinnati of course uh, Blood Buzz Ohio from the album High Violet alright it's uh, time to tell you things now Kiora makes orange flamenco lemon and lime cascade Orange, lemon and lime from Kiora for a cool one of six. May we remind you that for the convenience of those patrons who prefer not to smoke, seating areas on the right-hand side of this auditorium have been designated as no-smoking areas. Your cooperation is appreciated. Bye. 
Wave Machines, uh, ill fit from Wave if you're really there. There you go. I'm waving at the webcam. You can. Uh, that was a good DJ link, that wasn't it? Uh, you can uh, see me actually. It's in the back of my head if you really wanted to. Um, just go to the website, uckfieldfm.co.uk. Actually, um, Thinking about the BAFTAs, I, the ones I vote for, the ones I think are going to win, never win anyway. Argo did very well, actually. I have to admit, I think it was that beard. It's that lustrous beard that he's got. Do you think, uh, Affleck? I don't know. Anyway, I bunged it in again next week, actually, if you want to see it around the Uckfield area. Um, uh, just because, actually, it is worth a look. It's definitely, it kind of disappeared a bit when it came out. But anyway, um, what are we going to do now? Oh, we're going to do the staves. Uh, and then a bit of uh, flume, and then we do the handbrake turn into the film stuff. So uh, prepare yourself. Feel 
Flume featuring Shet Faker, um, which is nice. Oh, I have to do this. Uh, are you listening? Which means we are now in the uh, filmy part of the show. <sighs> I'm 
There, that's nice. Uh, now, what we've been doing is um, looking at the Academy Award nominations for Best Score. And so far, we've gone through John Williams' uh, Lincoln and um, What's-His-Face's Life of Pi, Diplas Life of Pi. Uh, oh, no, that was Argo, wasn't it? Oh, I'm all over the place. Anyway, we've done Life of Pi, Lincoln and Argo. Uh, tonight, uh, so that's three. Tonight we do four. Next week we'll do five. And then the following week we'll know. We'll know the answer that you've all been tuning in to hear is what's won the Academy Award for Best Soundtrack. Uh, last night at the BAFTAs, it went to Skyfall, which was nice. Um, Thomas Newman's score which is his first Bond, uh, certainly. Um, and I thought I thought it was rather good, actually. Um, which is a rather anodyne thing to say. So tonight we're going to listen to... Uh, oh, um, oh, come along. Dario Marinelli's score for uh, Joe Wright's version of um, Anna Karenina. <laughs>
that's very pleasant. Um, the score, or part of the score, from Joe Wright's version of Anna Karenina by Dario Marianelli. Now, I've got my ducks all lined up now. So we've done Argo, Alexandre Desplat, and we've done Life of Pi, Michael Dana, and we've done Lincoln John Williams. <sighs> Uh, so that leaves us Thomas Newman next week uh, Skyfall which is nice uh, now it's time for some <laughs> it's time for some Cheney Kent on Johnny Greenwood action hello if there is a composer who can be said to have single handedly rehabilitated the pop musician in contemporary composition it's Johnny Greenwood better known as the creative core of pop band Radiohead Greenwood is recognised for having introduced pioneering instrumentation and electronic effects to Radiohead's rock music to keep the group at the cutting edge of pop. Greenwood's involvement in film dates from 2003, when he contributed the score to Simon Pummel's Body Song, a composited documentary film about the life cycle. His music is a typical extension of his work with Radiohead, which is often introductory or play-out music, linking the songs on the album, focused on the quality of the sound. Greenwood seems to be as happy going back to investigate the potential of a conventional orchestra as he does synthesising new sounds. Here's a track from Body Song that is a case in point. of Body Song, Johnny Greenwood was appointed as composer-in-residence with the BBC Concert Orchestra, for whom he wrote the award-winning concert work Popcorn Superhead Receiver. Greenwood went on to incorporate parts of that orchestral score into his breakthrough soundtrack, the music for P.T. Anderson's There Will Be Blood. However, there was controversy when this lauded score was denied an Oscar nomination as it was not deemed an original soundtrack, since he had borrowed some music from the previous composition. Here is the opening music to the film, Greenwood's music capturing both the myth of an unspoilt Elysian American Midwest and a simultaneous sense of foreboding.
There Will Be Blood did go on to win awards and acclaim. Greenwood demonstrated his total indifference to the injustice shown him at the Oscars by also adapting his next BBC concert orchestra piece, Doghouse, as the score for his next film project, Norwegian Wood. This dreamy Kazuo Ishiguro adaptation was followed quickly by his insidious score to a very different film, the contemporary horror We Need to Talk About Kevin. Really, the sense of contemporary discomfort is what defines Greenwood's music. His unconventional use of familiar instrumentation put through electronic processes makes for music that is discombobulating, full of neurosis, or at least a synthetic sort of beauty that doesn't feel quite right. Greenwood's most recent score, his second for P.T. Anderson, is The Master, almost a companion piece to There Will Be Blood, essaying the relationship of two men over a key historical period in the country's history, namely, in this case, post-war modernity. The opening of The Master has the same gripping narrative montage as the opening 20 minutes of There Will Be Blood, culminating in this painful bitonal cue, Back Beyond, where the strings and woodwind, just like the principal character, Freddie Quell, seem to want to go in two different directions. I'm glad I know where I'm going then. Goodbye.
That's wonderful stuff, isn't it? That's um, part of Johnny Greenwood's score for The Master, which uh, is just marvellous. And that, that There Will Be Blood score is, is quite remarkable. He clearly obviously needs to be paired with the right filmmaker, otherwise it's just not going to work, is it? Um, it's not going to work uh, ladled all over uh, Lincoln, that's for sure. And The Master seems to be a bit of an... Um, Seems to be a bit of an also-ran this year, which is a shame in the awards. Uh, we'll be revi- uh, revisiting Peter Anderson later in the show. Uh, we've got some stuff from Boogie Nights, and we'll also be revisiting Johnny Greenwood with some uh, Radiohead music. Uh, one of the other also-rans, it seems, is Zero Dark Thirty, which I really liked. I kind of thought it was heart-poundingly exciting. A lot of my American friends are tying themselves up in knots about it, about why it's not good. But I just thought it was a very, very um, wonderfully exciting filmmaking. And uh, particularly this section at the end when uh, the helicopters are coming in to the compound. This is part of uh, uh, Platt's score from Zero Dark Thirty uh, called um, Flight to Compound.
that's great, isn't it? Um, part of the uh, heart-pumpingly exciting score for uh, Zero Dark Thirty by Alexandre Desplat. And with that in Argo, I think he's got that kind of thing uh, pretty much... Um, sewn up really but it's just great it's just great and and a, a finer <laughs> and more uh, slick piece of mainstream filmmaking you'd be hard to find in zero dark 30 whatever anyone tells you and uh, of course thank you cheney that was wonderful the johnny greenwood thing i didn't thank you uh i learned quite a lot from that and um yeah we'll see you again next week okay so it's time for uh selling stuff now now is the time, time for ice cream, ice cream time, it's ice cream time with Lion's Mane, ice cream time with Lion's Mane. Now, here at the Kevin Markwick Show, we play you, uh, hopefully, a range of interesting film music. Uh, and it would be good to know what you think, really. Uh, I know I keep banging on about this, but uh, if, you, if you let us know at Kevin Markwick on Twitter, or uh, preferably, actually, go to the Facebook page, um, the Kevin Markwick Show, and you can, we can interact, because actually we do, uh, coming up in the second hour of the show, there's some, uh, we do our time travel section, and, and I put posters and pictures up there that illustrate straight my uh, droning on does actually have <laughs> some uh, forethought and substance to it so please please uh, do get in touch and let me know because um, Cheney's thing is brilliant you get to hear uh, film music put into context which is 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 actually uh, uh, a wonderful thing because films are a wonderful thing aren't they They're the greatest thing ever invented now uh, one of my favorite films over the last few months has been the uh, uh, Danish picture, A Royal Affair with uh, Mads Mikkelsen um, is that, I don't think that's how you pronounce his name, we tend to call him that Mads Mikkelsen because that's how it's spelt but I think, uh, are there any uh, Danish people listening? Perhaps you could uh, uh, get in touch and let us know exactly how to pronounce that wonderful actor's name. Uh, he was also in uh, probably my favourite film uh, that I saw last year, The Hunt, which was uh, extraordinary. Anyway, this is um, taking us up to the news, the music uh, Gabriel Yared has written for uh, the wonderful film A Royal Affair.
Kevin Markwick. Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You, you see, we can move in the other three. As the doctor said, up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blow it up! God damn you! God! Oh yes, it's the hot tub time pants time again. And this uh, this week we are going to go back to 1968. Prime Minister was uh, Harold Wilson. Enoch Powell made his famous Rivers of Blood speech. And Dad's army started on the TV. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. And the M1 was finally finished. Of course, at Christmas it was the triumph of Apollo 8 when uh, a manned spacecraft first orbited the moon, which was a truly wonderful, wonderful thing. But what was the picture house Uckfield showing all those years ago in 1968? What was the throbbing metropolis that is Uckfield demanding tickets for at cinema? Well, there were two lots. Sunday for four days, and this is what we were showing. the world over. In How the West Was Won, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Cinerama have brought together the biggest and most distinguished all-star cast in entertainment history, characterizing the men and women who conquered the wilderness, finding a new life in this immense human saga of the American West. James Stewart is the mountain man. Henry Fonda is the plainsman. Adventurers such as these first explored the land. Then came the settlers who traveled the waterways, like the Prescott family, Carl Malden and Agnes Moorhead, and their daughters, Carol Baker and Debbie Reynolds, who left the frontier for a gayer life. There were the good and the bad, river pirates like Walter Brennan, notorious desperados like Charlie Gant, portrayed by Eli Wallach, and Lee J. Cobb as the dauntless U.S. Marshal who tracked him down. There were the gamblers and the entertainers. Gregory Peck is Cleve Van Valen, lucky in cards and in love. There was Robert Preston as the wagon master who loved in vain. Sounds like up, sounds like Upfield High Street, isn't it? Here, too, were the North, Andy Devine, and the South, Russ Tamblin, and the famous of history, John Wayne as General William Tecumseh Sherman, Henry Morgan as General Ulysses S. Grant, and Raymond Massey as Abraham Lincoln. George Pappard is Zeb Rawlings, who brought the law to the West. And Carolyn Jones portrays Julie Rawlings, whose courage matched that of her fighting husband. And there were the men who brought the railroad, like Mike King, portrayed by Richard Widmark. I saw it, Richard Widmark. the West was one startles your eyes with a huge and colorful panorama of the glorious frontier. <laughs> with all its reckless adventure and its awesome violence. Ooh. 
with its spirited romance, its lusty Old West fun, and its breathtaking action spectacle. The most fabulous film ever conceived from any standpoint. That's what we need, more lusty Wild West fun in our lives. And hyperbole, it was great hyperbole, wasn't it? Every film like this was the greatest thing your eyeballs have ever seen. Made in 1962, and we just got round to it in 68. How the West was won. Uh, Now, forgive me if we get a bit techie this week, rather than, uh, uh, you know, talk about the the more esoteric nature of uh, what we're watching. Uh, This is going to be a bit more, a bit more bit more techy. How the West was won was a great big expensive epic western made in 1962 telling the story of uh, funnily enough the old west uh, no second feature with it because uh, it was already a bum numbing two hours and 45 minutes set between 1839 and 1889 it follows four generations of a family as they move ever west from the from New York State all the way to the Pacific Ocean, it was actually based on a series of uh, Life magazine articles and had three directors: um, Henry Hathaway, who directed three of the segments, and there were two uh, two other segments. One directed by John Ford and the other by George Marshall. John Ford, of course, being the go-to guy for Western, the great probably the greatest Western director of all time. Um, and it had a big cast. If you go to the f- uh, Facebook page, uh, Kevin Mark Quick Show on Facebook, you can see uh, the poster. It, you know, it's quite big. I put hype on the poster with all the, all the stars in it. Uh, included James Stewart, Gregory Peck, Debbie Reynolds, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Richard Wiener, basically everybody. Um, now, what we weren't able to do in Upfield was show the film in the ultra-widescreen Cinerama process in which it was filmed. Um, and it actually took ooh, some years to finally come out in uh, in a standard 35mm format, which is what pretty much every cinema was showing. Uh, it's what used to be called a roadshow film, which meant it played only in the West End initially, sometimes exclusively for as long as six months or, or more than a year. Uh, then it would go out on, on the road, I'm using bunny ears, uh, to key cities around the country where it would play the big 3,000-seaters that we had in those days. Um, or it was kind of coming to the end of that period really in the in the mid to late 60s but the roadshow concept uh, was still around and you'd, uh, they'd hike the price, they'd charge special prices and have reserved seating, something that was not uh, not normal at the time particularly with the uh, continuous there was no continuous, it was all uh, reserved seating, you had actually numbered seats um, the big 70 mil releases were done like this, like Ben-Hur and Spartacus and The Sound of Music and West Side Story and things like that anyway, How the West Was One was slightly different because of the Cinerama process in fact, um it played for a staggering, can you believe, 123 weeks in the West End. That's nearly two and a half years at the Casino uh, Cinema in in London. Uh, It was another attempt. Uh, Cinerama was an attempt in the late 50s to give cinema goers something they couldn't get on the new upstart television platform, which was going to kill us all off, this horrible TV thing. Um, so they invented ever more ridiculous kind of formats. The Cinerama wasn't a ridiculous format, but it was mightily cumbersome. Uh, for instance, well, uh, the, the, I suppose the invention that's lasted uh, is Cinemascope, which was invented in 1953, and we still use it effectively today. Well, 
the aspect ratio we still use, which is 235 or 2.4 to 1. Um, uh, without getting too boring, it means that the picture is 2.35 units wide for every one unit high, and that gives you that letterbox look, if you know what I'm talking about, that you get on your, you can see on your TV when you get the black line top and bottom. That means it's in scope, cinema scope, uh, so we have a, a, a wider picture. Um, and, and the thing was, at the time, that was much, much wider. In fact, it was twice as wide as the traditional 4x3 format that had been used by movies since, since they were invented. Cinerama was even wider. In fact, it was so wide, it used uh, three cameras to record the image, uh, which is uh, so that's three three thirty-five millimeter strips in each of the camera, oh, one camera with uh, a thirty-five mil st- um, negative, and uh, you required it required three projectors to play the image back in the, in the theatre, which is extraordinary. So you had three separate projection boxes. You can imagine that was a very expensive process, and the screen was very very deeply curved, and um, was actually made up of strips. Uh, strips of um, rather like you know you get used to getting shops <laughs> you go to the back of the store through that kind of strip I mean it wasn't quite as bad as that but it was it was a very, it was a very sophisticated thing actually uh, the, the reason being that the, the screen was so deeply curved that they wanted to avoid reflections coming from one side of the screen hitting the other again if you go to the Facebook page you can see uh, a sort of representation of how deep the curve was and that made the cinematography rather odd it was kind of very 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 wide angled um, and so you got this kind of strange kind of center point when and everything kind of went back it's like almost like a v v anyway have a look at that picture and you'll see what i mean and you can imagine what was required to keep the three projectors uh, in sync they all had to be synced up otherwise one image would start to go faster than the other or slower than the other and they, they so that they didn't drift apart uh, and there was even actually a fourth film uh, that had the soundtrack on it because there were seven uh, seven tracks uh, seven magnetic tracks of audio as well so the sound was 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 uh, rather marvelous the first film uh, in cinerama had been this is cinerama in 1952 and how the west was one was actually the last feature made in the process 10 years later uh, all the films made after that claimed to be that claimed to be cinerama were actually shot on a single strip of 70 millimeter film they didn't use the three the three film process uh, in fact only two narrative films were ever shot in cinerama uh, this one and the wonderful world of the brothers grim which was pretty grim uh, the rest were basically very expensive yet uh, you know marvelous to look at travelogues other than the uh, casino in london only six other cinemas in birmingham glasgow manchester newcastle liverpool and Cardiff showed how the West was won in Cinerama. That's how uh, that's how enormously cumbersome and expensive to install it was. I, I, I guess with hindsight, it was never really going to be the future, was it? So how did we show it in Uckfield? Well, they what they did was they stitched the three images together on the cinemascope frame. Uh, and the result was a bit weird, actually. Uh, look out for it next time it's on telly, and you can see there are two dark lines that split the picture into three. And as things move over the line, they sort of appear to go around a corner. This is because it was shot to be projected on such a deeply curved screen, and it kind of looks odd. And the colour doesn't quite match. I mean, they've done quite, you know, a pretty good job on the on the on the Blu-rays and things, but you can you can see the the three separate strips of film. Uh, and you know, so unless you lived in the aforementioned cities this is the only way you could see this film and it took you know two or three years to come around because it was a big big film and a big 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 box office hit 
Uh, it did okay. We did uh, 536 admissions in four days. That was uh, £101, seven shillings and sixpence. Uh, and once again, if you've been following this, uh, half of those admissions were on Sunday, to nearly half anyway, 247 people. So, uh, rounding out the week uh, for the last three days was um, to sew with love. And something which uh, the old man has abbreviated as GN Sam. And I cannot work out what that is. It had a second feature with it GN Sam. Girl named Sam? I don't know. Gyrating, normal Sam? I don't know. I've honestly no idea. Has anybody got any ideas? Uh, let me know if you think you know what that film is. Uh, It was an agreeable British film made by Columbia Pictures uh, that boasts a typically commanding performance from a Hollywood star, uh, Sidney Poitier. It's the story of a West Indian engineer who takes a job teaching in an East End of London school while he looks for a better job. Uh, Of course, the unruly, tough pupils come to respect his quiet form of discipline and demand for mutual respect. By the end, of course, he has to decide whether to take this job that's been offered him or stay and teach another round of uh, East End yobbos. Um, Poitier is um, slightly on autopilot, but maybe that was kind of his delivery. He has that very kind of laconic, laid-back delivery, very kind of commanding, the sort of quiet, strong man. But... um, but he is he is convincing as the as as the quiet man pushed to his limits. But uh, you know he always retains his dignity. Very important for the any Poitier character, particularly at that time. Uh, I saw it again recently. Actually, and I have to admit I had a tear in my eye at the end. Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a softy, really. I don't cry at the top of a hat, but uh, it's nonsense, of course. But it had a big heart. It felt to me like it had a big heart, and it did sizable business in the US and in the UK. Um, in fact, the song, sung by one of the film's young stars, Lulu, reached number one in the States in 1967. Um... So, which was great for her. Um, the three-day booking seems to have been a bit of a mistake as well. It did very well. It should have played longer. 576 admissions in only three days, uh, taking £113, 13 shillings and sixpence. The biggest day was uh, Saturday, 328 admissions, which is a pretty good Saturday, actually. So uh, that's what we were showing in 1968, all those years ago. I, I think, how old would I have been? I'd have been about uh, six or seven so I can't say I do remember it anyone out there that does it would be great to hear anyway uh, this is the song uh, To Sir With Love which was such a big hit for Lulu and I think it, appear, it pretty much it appears in the, in the middle of the film uh, and then they reprise it uh, I think at the end in the, in the, in the blubby bit Be 
by for launching. It's Zoom with three new flavors. And free picture cards. Start collecting famous aircraft. There's a free card with every Zoom. On sale now. A warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our programme. OK, what are we doing now? Uh, less talking probably is good. What, one of the things in this last part, which I don't have as much time as I thought, uh, is uh, cool tracks that are used in films. Not original film music, but actually uh, music from another source, you know, that's, that, that's been used in film. You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. OK, this is a good one. Uh, we're going back to Pete T. And Pete T. Anderson and his 1978 film, uh, no, his actually the Commodores it's called Machine Gun it's that amazing bit in Boogie Nights and it kind of all builds up to them all dancing in kind of uh, Saturday Night Fever style what an extraordinary film uh, and the next one we're going to do is um, Tim Buckley from Hal Ashby's uh, wonderfully moving uh, picture Coming Home and this is a bit at the end if you've seen the film you'll know what I mean uh, Bruce Dern takes off his clothes puts him into the sea he goes into the sea he's committing suicide sorry 
race spoiler alert whilst at the same time Ashby intercuts with uh, John Voigt uh, urging uh, young recruits not to go and join the Marines it's um, it would be a hard heart that wasn't uh, very very moved by this sequence Buckley, I, I get to, I get a bit carried away, and in all the excitement, what I didn't tell you was it is about Vietnam vets coming home from the Vietnam War, and they're all kind of you know mucked up in one way or another. Um, and that's that scene particularly. It's it's kind of Hal Ashby's trademark. He would run a track over over a scene, so rather than necessarily fix it into that um, or into multiple scenes, so rather than fix it into one scene, like you know Tarantino goes cool and there's this. 
this. Uh, Hal Ashby would just let the track run over several scenes till it's finished, and then he might start another one. He was um, probably one of the uh, most underrated and greatest filmmakers ever. Uh, so, yes, go and uh, see that one if you can coming home uh, from 1978 it was uh, John Voight uh, who got an Oscar and so did uh, Jane Fonda and uh, someone else got an Oscar as well but I can't remember who it was it should have been Hal Ashby but it wasn't it was uh, getting towards the end of his career he had this kind of extraordinary ten years where he made Howl and Maud uh, which you heard me bang on about before and The Last Detail and Coming Home and Shampoo uh, anyway I, I'm going to talk over my allotted time but I'm not careful so I'm going to do this last one before we do another ad break which is from <laughs> a truly truly wonderful film called uh, Funny Bones now if you've seen Funny Bones you'll, you'll already be smiling if you haven't you should go and find it somewhere it's not that easy to find uh, it was made by Peter Chesham in 1995 and had the most bonkers cast Lee Evans, Leslie Caron Oliver Platt, uh, Freddie Davis remember Freddie Parrotface Davis uh, Jerry Lewis, it's all set in Blackpool and it's about comedy and the opening credits with this fantastic old car has this fantastic uh, classic track from Johnny uh, John Lee Hooker uh, Boogie Chillin <laughs> but I gotta do it. Kevin Markwick. 105 Uckfield FM. Just like an angel 
broken makes me cry You float like a feather In a beautiful world I wish I was special You're so very special But I'm a creep moment i thought i hadn't loaded the radio edit my the, <laughs> the blood all drained from my face Radiohead creep um johnny greenwood of course and uh the other fella I, I enjoyed that i enjoyed that a lot actually the film section this week um which means i'm horribly horribly behind Yeah. 
beautiful, beautiful. Uh, Petula Clark, cut, copy me. The 80-year-old Petula Clark still uh, releasing singles. So moving on, anyone who listens to the show on a regular basis knows that um, I have a thing for uh, singer-songwriters and I have a thing for particularly Scandinavian singer-songwriters. And uh, uh, this is a Norwegian uh, lady um, who writes beautiful songs. Suzanne's uh, song for this is called Dear Joe. Lovely from the 2007 self-titled album. Uh, that's Suzanne uh, Suzanne Sonfor, uh, dear John. Okay, we're going to go uh, back to 1969 now. It's your bicycle bells and your Rembrandt swells, your children alive. And still breathing And you look of lost When you're coming across Makes me feel like a thief When you're bleeding Duchess, Duchess 
Light up your candles for me Duchess, Duchess Put all your love back in me I come listening I touch, touch you With the Persian Sea Running through your veins You shed your names With the seasons Still they all return With their last remains And they lay them before you Like reasons With your shimmering dress That says no That says yes That says I've nothing left For concealing It's your shitless flesh And your old girl's grace It's your young girl's face That I'm breathing Duchess, Duchess Light up your candles for me Duchess, Duchess, Duchess Put all the love back in me I'm lying Scott Walker from Scott 4, of course, uh, Duchess.
Lotus, of course. REM from uh, 1998. I can't believe it's that old. From uh, Up, actually, which was uh, came after the the big bit for them. Oh, this will please them at home. actually all over i've got one more track left to play you um and the monkeys in the trees will take us there it's been great actually i've really enjoyed it tonight thank you very very much for listening um i I, picked up some new listeners which is great and the more we do uh the more fun we'll all have uh if you do miss the show you know if you can't listen to it for one reason or another you can podcast it uh it is available on itunes uh or all other good um podcasting software um and if you are listening on the podcast then thank you that's great uh you can get it to download automatically every week so uh and you should get in touch too if you're listening on the podcast because uh we want to hear from you as well please and any comments you've got about the show uh would be gratefully received I like they dared me to play this i like it i like it in the leafy shade neighbors dancing all around drinking lemonade doesn't have quite the same high quality as the rest of the show. Uh, so thank you very, very, very much for listening. Uh, it means an awful lot to me. And uh, we're going to finish off, actually, with the wonderful uh, Natalie Merchant from her Tiger Lily album in 1995. Uh, it's called Beloved Wife. And if this doesn't make you cry, nothing will. Goodbye. I love you all.